All right, hello and welcome to Realcom's final installment in the Workplace and Experience Series. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, president of NiceNets Consulting, your Realcom guest host of today's webinar. That is the occupant experience in hybrid work environments. Thank you for tuning in to the live session or viewing this as a recording. We have a slightly new format today, but I think you'll like the dynamic interaction with our vendors and guests. But before we get started, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. First of all, again, thank you to our live attendees. We encourage you to use the Q&A box in the bottom left of your screen to submit questions or comments. We'll try to get to all the questions, but if they don't get answered during the webinar, we'll follow up with you once the event is concluded. And you'll find today's presentation, I think you've got some speaker bios there in the handout section, so that'll be in the control panel of your GoToWebinar area, along with uh, presentations from previous webinars in this series. For the best webinar experience, we do recommend closing out any other internet applications, especially streaming videos. Don't watch those, watch us. You'll, you'll get much more out of it. If you're experiencing any technical issues with connectivity, sound, video quality, the best thing to do is disconnect and click on the webinar link again. You can also email Sarah Bempered at S-B-E-M-P-O-R-A-D at realcom.com for help during the event. But don't worry, you won't miss anything since you'll receive a link to the recording in the next few days. The educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors, including Avuity is a data-driven technology firm specializing in hardware and software that measures and analyzes workspace utilization to increase efficiency, inform real estate planning, and enhance the employee experience. They're here to make your workspace work. Contact.io is smart IoT devices, cloud solutions, and powerful APIs. They combine to better connect people, spaces, and all the building blocks you need, including sensors, tags, gateways, and cloud services, allowing you to reimagine how you run your business. iOffice creates frictionless workspace spaces, and Space IQ makes your workspaces smarter. Together, they create the most comprehensive workplace experience, increased operational excellence, and an asset management solution portfolio. Yardi, for the last four decades, has been providing businesses worldwide with property and workplace management software that optimize every aspect of their operations. A connected tech platform for corporate real estate professionals, employees, asset managers, and brokers. We have uh, all today's sponsors to thank for helping us out at Realcom and our viewers. Be sure to check out these companies as part of your vendor evaluation process. Our panelists today include quite a good mix. We've got Matt Graham, he's EMEA, which is Europe, Middle East, India, and Africa, Strategic and Relationship Management Lead. He is the Real Estate Technology Innovation at Ernst & Young. Larry Schachter is the Technology Director at TGM Associates. Sam Biggerstaff is the Director of Enterprise Sales EMEA at Contact.io. Jay Berkemeyer is Business Development Director at Avuity. Segar Morabia is the Senior Director at Yardi. And Mike Petruski is the Director of Events and Growth Marketing at iOffice and Space IQ. And finally, our moderator is Kay Sargent, Senior Principal and Director of Workplace at HOK. Welcome, Kay. Hello, how are you today, Chuck? I'm good, thanks. You've got such a great panel. I'm just gonna get out of the way and let you guys go for it. 
and we have so much to dive into and so much context. So we're going to do a little bit of a kind of a speed round. We're going to give everybody a little chance to answer some questions, but we're also going to be kind of tagging in and uh, talking because there's lots of different viewpoints on this uh, as we're emerging out of this pandemic. So we wanted to go ahead and really get started and dive in. So I'm going to start by basically outing myself. I've been a practicing designer for 37 years. In those 37 years, there has never been a time where there has been so much attention and focus, not just on workplace and workforce, but how we work and just what that means altogether. And so we have a really unique opportunity right now to rethink everything. And a workforce that quite frankly is demanding it. And so we need to innovate and we need to evolve and we need to think about what that occupancy experience really is to ensure that we're creating great spaces as we go forward. So when we go around and we talk to CEOs, you know, we kind of, what's top of mind and what's important? Well, I'll tell you during the pandemic, there are five things that really are top of mind for CEOs. The first is the health and safety and well-being of their workforce. The second is, what do we do with remote work? You know, do we need offices anymore? And what is the balance and how do we achieve this? And what does hybrid mean for everybody? And, and how do we go forward? The third is business resiliency. And that often is getting lost in this conversation, right? Because it's so much focus right now is on the user and on the workforce. But we also need to think about how do we ensure that the business is thriving and succeeding and being successful? The fourth is really about purpose of place. Well, if we can work from home, then what's the purpose of an office? And why do we even need that anymore? It's a question that we've heard a lot in the last few years. And then the last one is something that really started before the pandemic, but boy, you think back over the last two years and some of the things that we have experienced as far as environmental concerns, social justice and equity concerns and governance issues, they have exploded. And this is now very, very top of mind and something that we really need to take. So those are the big five that we know that we're thinking about. So I'm going to go back to one of those, which is the purpose of place. Why do we even come together in the first place? Right. Well, we believe that we do need a place to work. And not like 30 years ago, where you had to go to work to actually do your work. But working from home doesn't work for everybody. Only 40% of the population can even work from home. The rest really need to come into spaces, whether you're a nurse or a doctor or you work in a lab or you're in the service industry, okay? And then even in that 40%, not everybody does a job that is independent and can work. So we need to think about what are we doing? And we need to think about the opportunity to bond and to connect and to rebuild that social capital. And we need to think about how do we energize and engage and empower the workforce because there are a lot of people that are feeling very disconnected and very isolated and very lonely. We need to think about professional growth and learning and mentoring and development. We need to think about how do we foster culture, provide a sense of belonging, and really create that sense of purpose and pride in organizations. And to do all that, we need to think about can we create great experiences and services how do we provide some boundaries so it's just like kind of a free-for-all, right? And then also, can we offer people something that they can't get at home? So when we are asked daily, what is the purpose of place going forward? These are really kind of the big eight things that we think about are critical as we take that next step. 
Now, when we think about purpose of place too, there's lots of things that you can't get at home. I'm gonna put all eight of these up here real quickly. Sometimes it might be a connection, okay? It's hard to invite a client to your house. Or maybe you're going to the office for some great enhanced tools. I mean, if you think about the technology that has come out in the last four or five years and the fact that most of us are sitting here staring in a laptop for eight hours a day, right? And we have so many powerful tools that we aren't being able to leverage necessarily. Um, maybe it's ergonomics. Not everybody has a fully tricked out office in their house. Many people have multiple roommates or are sitting in a basement. It could be that you need access to services or gathering spaces or you just want to be in a place that has some kind of energy and some vibrancy to keep you going and to get you excited. It could just be about those connections and those serendipitous engagements that we have. And it could be the amenities. Maybe you just want somebody else to make you a great cup of coffee or you want access to something that you cannot necessarily and when we think about the, the benefits of presence, well, there's a lot. So some of these we touched on a little bit, right? Rebuilding social capital, teamwork, shared culture. It's not just about what you're producing. It is the quality of what you're producing. And one of the little dirty secrets that people aren't talking about is that many companies have reported diminished quality that has happened because they don't necessarily have, you know, those checks and balances. It's about driving innovation. It's about movement and the ability to have uh, thrive in spaces and to really focus on well-being. It's about our professional development advancements. It's about providing equity and inclusivity and addressing sustainability and really engaging people and empowering them to go forward. So all of those things can happen. But we're going to focus today really a little bit on technology and what is possible and how do we do that. And so I'm going to start by basically saying that for years literally for years, decades, we've had building infrastructure systems. We've been able to control the lighting, uh, sensors that are determining when you're in the room or not. Uh, we can control the HVAC, solar screening, and the panels on the building. So we've had that for a long time, but what are we doing regarding the employee infrastructure? What are we doing and how are we empowering somebody to have more control are we giving them the tools and the assets that they need? And the answer is we can, but in many cases we're not. And are we thinking about how do we create those low or no touch spaces? So we have the ability with motion sensors and smartphones and voice activation and space management systems and biometrics and holograms to really create and leverage and expand the experiences of people that are having today. But here's the reality. And I find this really shocking in a study that we recently did. When we asked over 100 of our largest corporate clients what they were doing across the board, the one page that really stuck out to me was the findings around tech integration. And what we found is that only a third of companies were really intending to leverage any kind of a booking system or space management. Now, some of them might have already you know, uh, had it or, and, and gone beyond that, but only about a third were really planning on doing that. And less than 25% were really thinking about doing anything else, you know, using technology to help with health screening or lower no-touch spaces or space utilization or employee experience apps. What this says to me is that we are under leveraging technology in our spaces and that most of us right now have a better experience with technology in our cars than we do in our workspaces and that we have the opportunity right now to truly embrace technology, to really change 
and evolve the occupant experience in the built space. But many companies are falling short of that mark to do that. And I think part of that is that there's a little apprehension around it, that there's a little bit of fear about, you know, technology is advancing so quickly and so rapidly that people don't want to make the wrong decision, so they make no decision, which is the ultimate wrong decision, probably, right? And so the panel today is really going to get into how do we leverage technology to help really take us to that next level? Because if you're worried about not um, catching up or not making a decision, we need to also realize that change is constant today and we need to look ahead because we are on the cusp of biometrics, of robotics, of augmented reality, of holograms, of sensor 2.0 that is empowering the end users and really creating intuitive workspaces. All of these things we have the ability to do now and they are becoming more and more mainstream as we go forward. And so if you're designing a space and you're not thinking about these technologies that will absolutely come to fruition in the coming years, then you are guaranteeing you will be behind the curve, right? And so we believe that there's a really powerful case to be made. But the challenge right now is we're in this kind of extruded transition and we need to get through that so that then we can really go beyond and make some decisions. Because we are no longer just in designing environments. We're designing the entire experience and technology can play a really, really powerful role in doing that. So, okay, we're gonna dive in now with each one of our panelists. Uh, we're gonna do a little bit of, of introductions and uh, then we're gonna uh, queue up a, a questions. We have 10 questions that we're gonna get through today, uh, the, the questions that we are being asked the most. So uh, let's, let's go with our first panelist and let's roll a little quick intro to iOffice and Space IQ. The iOffice platform by iOffice and Space IQ makes tough calls easier. Our software brings all your real estate data from many different systems into a single platform. You can identify occupancy rates and trends with intelligent space management software and sensor integrations. You can help tenants make the most of your space with technology that helps them find people and places fast. Turn tough real estate calls into opportunities with iOffice. Brought to you by iOffice and Space IQ. Of course, from iOffice, we have the illustrious head of the uh, innovation podcast, Mike. Uh, Mike, I actually get to ask you questions this today. This is the role <laughs> reversal. The roles have been reversed, Kay. It's great to see yeah. you. So, Mike, I have Thank one question that I want you to take point on, okay? And that really, and I'm not going to ask you about a song or anything else, but I'm going to ask you, uh, you know, you work with lots of different clients. So what approach are you seeing your clients taking with their return to office strategy? What's happening? It's a great question, Kay. And first of all, let me just say, fantastic introductory presentation. You set the stage for this conversation so brilliantly, as you do all the time on my Workplace Innovator podcast when you're a guest there. I call her the incomparable Kay Sargent, folks. So it's no surprise based on what you just heard. But that's the type of thing we're talking about on the show. It's with clients, it's with industry leaders, consultants, folks that have a different interest in the built environment. And 
I'm finding that obviously we all know no one size fits all, no one return to office strategy fits every organization. So that's to be clear. In fact, going back to 2020, some of my earliest surprise interactions were with folks in the oil and gas industry and they returned to office very quickly. They said, this is our business, get in your car and come to work and, and we're gonna be back and, and the facility management team is gonna do all they can to mitigate the risk of the virus and we're gonna be um, doing that, but we want you here, it's part of our culture. Many organizations have had lots of stops and starts over the last 24 months, setting a date for return to office and then pushing it back inevitably as a new variant emerged or what have you. And then even today, here in the spring of 2022, Kay, I know you're hearing this from clients, there's some that are still wait and see. We're not sure, we're not gonna put out a policy or even put out a um, strategy. We're letting our employees continue to work remotely as long as they feel comfortable doing so. And that creates some challenges. We're gonna talk about some of those later, but for the strategy, I, strategies that I do hear about, return to office, what I'm most taking away is that workplace leaders of all kinds, and I talk to facility management professionals, I talk to real estate, uh, corporate real estate leaders, I talk to HR, and other folks as well. They're all working together in the most forward-thinking organizations anyway, communicating across the different silos to come up with a strategy and put out pilot programs. They want to try different things. They wanna give people, as I said, choice and flexibility about how to use the spaces that are available to them. And they let the people make that decision in most cases. Now, not all cases. I think it's a culture question. I think it's a question of what's best for the role, type, the type of role the person is, um, the employee is uh, doing for the organization, what that person needs as an individual. It's, it's building for one, right? We're all trying to design and reimagine spaces that will work for any and all different scenarios. So it's a really interesting time for my friends in this community, and it's a challenging time. But I guess what we're, we're hearing is that you can't just have it be a free-for-all. You have to build a framework. You have to have policies and procedures and, and to meet the expectations of both the new employee expectations as well as the business outcomes that you talked about that our organizations need to be successful and communicate. We have to communicate very effectively. It's a two-way street. Do the surveys, do the polls, find out what people say they need, and then work back and forth as we pilot programs, fail fast if it doesn't work out and make the adjustments. And it's all in this understanding that people are now questioning, why return to office? Why do I need to go back? And you laid out all those great scenarios, the reasons why that human interaction can't be replaced remotely. And I think it's about understanding that. That's the big takeaway from my show. It's understanding that we as workplace leaders, whatever your particular role, you need to think outside the box, folks. If you're looking to get back to pre-pandemic times, the good old days, uh, it's not gonna happen. We are, we are moving forward and we have a clean slate and it's an opportunity. It's, it's difficult, yes, but it's an opportunity to really reimagine how work is done and what those occupant experiences are gonna be. And people are gonna choose, you want them to choose your space, your building, your uh, place to gather, make it something that's compelling to them because they're choosing to go out to restaurants, they're choosing to go to the movies again, they're choosing to go out to concerts and ball games. Why aren't they choosing to return to offices when given that choice? That's what we need to do better. And I think that anybody who's trying to get back to the good old days has to remember what Steven Pinker says, the thing most responsible for that feeling of wanting to go back to the good old days is that we have a pretty bad memory and that our bad memory says, hey, Things weren't that great before the pandemic hit in many ways in many organizations. So, okay, I know you agree with that, but do you think we have a, a real chance here as workplace leaders to, to build a case and tell people the why? 
I do. And my, one of my biggest fears, Mike, is that we're going to blow this opportunity, right? Because I, I think we, you know, there is a, a opportunity here for analysis paralysis and to do nothing. And doing nothing isn't a good option, right? So I think we need to lead with courage and empathy and be flexible in what we're doing, but inaction is not an answer. So Cigar, I want to I want to tag you in here in this conversation and maybe get some insights from you too about you know just real quickly what do you what do you uh, have to add to the conversation as far as return to office? Sure, Th thanks, Kay. I'd like to highlight a couple of things. Um, so Yardi uh, is a uh, Yardi corporate, right? We are occupiers in 45 plus locations. Uh, we are tenants. We are paying rents to third party landlords. Um, so and we have 8000 plus global employees. So, you know, the, the approach that Yardi has taken is, uh, you know, okay, what you were saying initially is, you know, um, build on empathy, build on trust, right? And uh, and our policy is no policy. So we have seen companies across the spectrum where Google came and said, you know, everyone's coming into office three days a week, right? And then there is Twitter who's saying, everyone's going to be remote, right, um, uh, all the time. Um, Yadi is taking an approach somewhere in the middle. And as Mike said, um, you know, we'll continue to evaluate, we'll continue to see the impact of the business, we'll continue to see how the teams function, how how productive they are, what's working for them, what's not working for them, and continue to evolve, um, you know, our policy. But our policy right now is no policy. Some of the other things that I've seen um, some of our clients do, and I've spoken with similar stakeholders, as, as, as Mike was highlighting earlier, across HR facilities, uh, you know, uh, real estate, um, you know, they are uh, building little incentives in their uh, in their workplace environment to to attract people to come back uh, to office uh, at least a few days. Right. Because they're concerned that, um, you know, somewhere they might be losing the company culture um, somewhere down the line. They may have, uh, you know, negative impact. Uh, you know, the two years were challenging and everyone was doing everything in their powers to um, to maintain the status quo, but you know, as time evolves, like you know, that may change. So, like simple things like catering lunch, right, uh, twice a week or every Friday, right, just to uh, get people back in the office, or creating some kind of like a re recreation room that uh, that you know is one of the um, uh, attractions to to go go into office, right? Things like that, uh, we are seeing that uh, quite a lot as well. Okay, that's great. All right, we're going to go to uh, our next question that we have, and to do so, we're going to introduce Larry. So, Larry, we just talked about return to office. Clients are kind of trying to figure out what to do, but they're also asking, what are the new tools that they should be using to do so? Well, okay, thanks, uh, Kay, and uh, it's good to be on the panel with everyone. So. Uh, I'm Larry Schachter. I'm the Director of Technology at the TGM Associates. Uh, we are based in Manhattan. We have an office in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, we own and operate approximately 25 uh, low and mid-rise multifamily properties across the country. And for many of us, uh, like many of us, our on-site property personnel were frontline workers. They couldn't stop coming to work. Uh, but we did change how we obviously address things. Our public areas were, clo were closed, our fitness centers, our leasing office were closed. We, we had to move to virtual apartment tours and virtual property tours, package pickups. 
were left outside. The leasing office was effectively effectively closed. If you wanted to come in, you had to um, had to create an appointment, and uh, you know we took steps around social distancing and barriers and things of that nature, you know, to create a safe workplace during the pandemic. Uh, you know, throughout this, we had to continue to maintain lease and turn over apartments. And we had to do so, you know, and provide a leading, you know, product and service level, you know, to offer people a compelling reason to come to our properties, to stay at our properties. And 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 that's how we've conti continued to operate. Our home office, different story. Uh, being based in Midtown Manhattan, there was uh, basically, with the exception of essential workers, all offices were shut down um, when the pandemic hit two years ago. And we, needless to say, followed suit uh, as early as June of 2020. And, you know, that seems still like a, quite a long time ago. Uh, that ban was lifted. And, you know, many companies, many real estate companies in New York uh, started to come back to work right away. Uh, you know, a lot of that, you know, was due to the fact that as owners of commercial properties, they wanted to draw a line in the sand and show that, you know, these offices could be op could be operated safely. Uh, and many of them, many of my peers who are local here have been coming have been coming in five days a week since June of 2020. Uh, for TGM, it was a different story. We're a smaller company. We only have about 30 people working out of our uh, New York City offices. Uh, don't have a lot of redundancy in positions. Most of our people take public transportation to work and we too have had probably three, four, five dates when we were supposed to come back to the office. Uh, well, finally, as of uh, April 5th, we are back. Um, our plan is we're requiring everyone to be in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, other days as needed or desired. And this is something that I've been hearing amongst my peers to be fairly consistent. So what's going on here? We have an office where most of the staff has not been back within two years. And, you know, when we first, you know, just really looked at this was going to happen, my discussion with uh, the partners was, you know, I said, let's think of the one of the last scenes in Apollo 13 where they're going to turn the command module back on. The question is, does everything still work here? Uh, so we brought in our managed service provider. We had to you know, tone out the lines, make sure all the wiring still worked. A lot of the equipment that hadn't been touched in two years wanted to make sure that software was upgraded, firmware was upgraded, and make sure that the office was physically ready for people to come back. Um, at the same time, people who are working from home, you know, it, it, it's kind of as it's been for the last two years. You know, being in Manhattan, like many people who are, uh, you know, work in high barrier to entry. Uh, I'll just kind of catch up with the slides here for a second. Um, you know, many people who work in, in high barrier to entry, uh, you know, environments are uh, spend, you know, three plus hours a day commuting, which is really semi-productive time. Uh, you can you can stop there. You can stop there with the changing. Uh, semi-productive time and, um, you know, they've been working from home and will continue to do so on many days. So uh, we provided them, we've always been a company with, uh, we provided laptops, people shuttled back and forth between the home and office. 
you know, many of our national staff work remotely all the time. So for them, it's is as, as it's always been. We provided monitors, keyboards, docking stations, you know, things of that nature. Um, you know, did have to get involved with people helping them out initially in terms of, you know, how they utilize technology at home because all of a sudden it was, you know, two people working on an internet all the time. I would say at the same time, you know, maybe one, two or more children on Zoom school all day long. And, you know, that uh, old DSL line or that 25 megabit interconnection was no longer sufficient. We generally told people, you know, 200 megabits as a minimum was what uh, what they needed to use. Now, so what's, uh, changed? what's changed is that, you know, people have become, you know, and, and for a small company, which really always had everyone coming into the office all the time, people have found out, and the reason that we have stayed closed as long as we have is because ownership has felt that we've been successful working remotely. Yes, I think we realize that uh, we're not going back to that and uh, that there are, you know, well, you know, time will tell what the long-term effects are. Uh, I think collaboration, you know, does suffer somewhat and you miss out on those casual collisions. Uh, that you have with people in terms of just, you know, getting an answer and everything has become very scheduled. Um, and I think for younger workers, it's, you know, they're missing out on a lot of mentoring opportunity, uh, opportunities to be mentored and things like that. And again, as I said, you know, history is going to, you know, as we look back at this, uh, you know, are we as good and are we as effective? And I think as Case, you said, uh, I think we need to make sure we have the tools that we make the office um, as efficient and as comfortable and as desi and a desirable place to come because you know for many of us that it it's a trip and uh, you know people have became very used to staying at home and you know kind of working longer hours but they didn't have to commute and I think we really yeah. need we have this opportunity to provide an environment that's that's better for all yeah so now we're now this environment that we're talking about that might be better for all many people are starting to think about hybrid work so let's go to our next slide because i want to bring matt into the conversation here um, you know there's been a lot of talk matt about hybrid office and and i have to tell you if i hear one more time you know oh, we're in uncharted territory we've never been here before okay you know so you know let's break some myths right so people have been working remotely for 30 plus years maybe not to the same level or scale i'll, I'll give it that okay but hybrid isn't new there are companies like ernst and young that have been working in that manner for a long time and i you know i think that a lot of people aren't necessarily looking at the examples of all the things that you all have learned over the years from doing this. So can you share a little bit, as a company that has been doing this, uh, what you know about hybrid that you can enlighten the rest of us with? Absolutely. Um, and just by way of background, hopefully everybody's familiar who EY is, otherwise our branding team haven't been doing that credit of a job. Uh, but we are one of the one of the big four financial services firms or professional services organizations. Um, we're now roughly 350,000 staff around the world, uh, 700 plus offices. Um, and so we uh, we also have the uh, enviable or unenviable task of uh, working as a 
part of a membership of network firms. Uh, in other words, we're a partnership. Um, so every country has their own uh, ownership structure. Every strategy decision that EY Global makes needs to be essentially sold. Uh, and roughly 2009, we decided to globalize our real estate function, um, which uh, led to a strategy that we called Workplace of the Future at the time. And really, this was focused on kind of reducing our real estate footprint, uh, creating similar experience for EY employees wherever they were in the world. Uh, and then around 2013, uh, we evolved the strategy and, start, and called it EY at Work. Uh, and this is where we really started pushing flexible working, uh, both as a, an enabler for our people, uh, to give them that, that more time at home or to be where they needed to be. Uh, at the time, it was really one or two days a week that was the, the, that was the standard, um, which enabled us also to, to begin a huge program of works to uh, move more of our offices to open plan, uh, create these, the, the, this kind of uh, experience that was universal for our employees, uh, one of the big programs that we led at the time as well was to essentially create a standardized reservation platform for all of our all of our global offices and uh, for my sins i had to roll that out for across amir for for about three to four years uh, moving everybody off excel based systems some off the shelf some off the back of a fag packet it was uh, it was a challenge but it was also a great learning experience for us because we went out to all the loads of different countries, chatted to loads of different facilities, teams, understood their operations, understood their employees' requirements and, and evolved it off the back of that. Um, but, but some of what enabled our flexible working program at the time uh, was a, a big focus on trust in the workplace. And believe me, it was a strong sell, uh, both from our HR organization and, and from the real estate team to get partners uh, and leaders within the organization to, to relinquish a little bit of control. Uh, but once we started doing that, I think they started seeing the benefits uh, in terms of team engagement, in terms of uh, engagement with our brand as a whole. Uh, but in terms of the characteristics that were in place at that time, uh, listed a couple of them there. Uh, people were in general familiar with their buildings. Uh, teams would self-organize around these uh, EY at work principles that we put in place. So between the, the teams would decide which days would be available for homeworking, which days everybody had to be in the office. Uh, there was probably less of a requirement for the type of collaboration technology we have available to us now. And thank goodness we do have it because people knew which days they would see each other in the office. So they could stay, save their save their collaboration, if you want, for those days, and use their home time for for more pro productivity-based tasks. Uh, we implemented defined neighbourhoods, uh, so people didn't actually need to reserve a desk in a lot of cases. Uh, yeah. The space planners in the office would uh, would would work out based on occupancy figures how many which teams needed what space. Um, and which enabled us to reduce our footprint so we could have much higher sharing ratios. Um, 
And the, the little diagram I've got on, uh, got on board over here is really the kind of quadrants that, that we looked at. We've got this me to we axis and then collaboration to focus, which I think are the kind of key elements that, 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 that enable the different types of working. And over the course of this prog program, us as a real estate team, uh, our focus was on evolving the office, uh, as it were, uh, to provide the different uh, scenarios or, or yeah. spaces that would be required to, to enable this kind of activity-based working. Uh, and Matt, you, you, really, you really empowered your employees, but then also created enticing places that they actually wanted to be. So Absolutely. those two were two critical elements for you. Yeah. And what enabled that really was, was creating a joined up approach across the EY landscape. Because that meant we could uh, take best practice from all around the world, uh, engage with design firms uh, around the world and really learn, uh, learn from a number of experiences rather than being completely dominated by, a, by, by, by one country or, or one approach. Uh, which really helped us evolve our evolve our footprints, um, but you know we, we still experienced I think the same challenges that, that that everybody experiences. You know, not enough meeting space because we had to reserve so much space for desks. Uh, you know, the the technology experience was really inconsistent from country to country. Um, I think whenever you go onto things like the Leesman Index, I think it's again very common. Not enough quiet areas. Uh, not not enough quiet areas on the floors. Uh, and then, you know, even though we were calling calling this flexible working, uh, it was still quite prescribed in terms of which days you needed to be in the office and which days you could work from home. Um, but then, as we know, the pandemic hit, <laughs> and all of a sudden, the home became the uh, the, the the place where everything had to happen. Uh, and all of a sudden our collaboration technology provided usually by our IT organization became the sole conduit that we had to engage with our teams. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I shudder to think if the pandemic had happened 10 years earlier um, and, uh, and the struggles that that would have entailed. Uh, I agree. But I think it would be a whole different place if it would have happened 10 years ago. God, yes. Uh, and, you know, I, I think uh, what this kind of led to is, is people realizing uh, more, uh, you know, had a more defined approach to this is what real flexibility is. You know, I get to choose the time and space that I need to go out and do my personal things. I can blend it with my work. I don't mind being, I don't mind trading some, a little bit of my evening to have some of my afternoon. Um, and also from an EY perspective, really kind of, uh, I guess, almost helped the global aspect. I mean, I work in a team that has members from Perth to, uh, you know, Perth to the, to, to the West Coast, of the US uh, and, and so kind of coordinating activities globally uh, became a, a lot more, a, a lot easier. Um, and, and I think we, we've touched on in a number of the previous uh, previous talks, how uh, empowering it is not to commute, having, you know, an hour, two hours or three hours a day back every day. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's either great Netflix time or, or, or time to, Time to get a, get to the gym or, or just having a bit more time uh, as part of the family. 
Um, and but obviously, I think we all realise it presents its own, its own challenges as well. Uh, you know, yeah. engagement. If you haven't, if you've never met some of the colleagues that you're working with, or if they've joined the firm recently, you know, you don't know who they are as people. Uh, you don't. You, you you read messages in your own internal monologue, and you can completely misinterpret things just by the fact that it's all text-based. You don't learn micro gestures. You don't learn personalities as well. Um, yeah, Matt, the, the statistic there is 55% of communication is nonverbal. So if you don't understand somebody, you've never met them, and you don't understand their body language, you can totally misread them, and absolutely. just you know, it can really make it really, really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And this is one of my my worries about the metaverse as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think also with the always on mentality, you know, it, it is a trade off. Some in some aspects, it's good that you 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 trade off, but sometimes you feel that you have to be always on. Uh, so it makes it very difficult to manage that. Um, I think as we found and and, and as mentioned before, you know, in, an individual's living environment is not always conducive. Uh, to great work. <laughs> um, <laughs> you might have three dogs like me who bark at everything uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm a quick draw on the mute button now um, yeah. or, or you might you know you, you, you might have a house share or, or, or live in a live in an environment with very poor connectivity um, which could really be a, have a detrimental effect on you as you go through that. Um, so where are we where are we kind of heading now? Uh, Let's see if it changes for me. So looking again at these, ac at these axes, we really decided to focus on the activities. You know, where does collaboration happen? Where does innovation happen? And where does productivity happen from an activity basis rather than from a location basis? So we, we started looking at, uh, you know, how best to provide for those activities across the board. Um, and we realize that there are two distinct challenges that we need to that, that we need to face. One is planning. Uh, as discussed you know, prior to prior to the pandemic, uh, in our flexible working paradigm, we were saying you need to be in the office on you know Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Monday and Thursday, you can we're happy for you to work from home. Now people, I think, are expecting to make those choices for themselves which introduces a lot of complexity in trying to get the right people in the right space at the right time for the types of activities that could lead to, to innovation, which we feel you know, will, take, will, will happen best in an environment that's been designed for them and has the tools for them. Um, so <laughs> uh, what we're seeing in Amir and, uh, and hearing from our colleagues in the US is that people are expecting to be working from home two to three days a week, uh, if not more. Um, and yeah, uh, what we're seeing as well, 90% of people really find true flexibility in where they want to work very important. Uh, the other challenge uh, is the in-office experience. Uh, and the reason I say this is a challenge for us now uh, is when I was pulling together uh, the, the strategy for, for the team over here, um, I just plugged into our HR database to see how many people had joined our firm since January 2020, uh, and it was over half of our workforce. So over 124,000 people had joined EY 
since January 2020. So that was a huge number of people with very little in-office experience, very right. little experience in how to get in the building, where to go for, for amenities. Connection to the culture, the brand, any of those things, right? Yeah. Uh, and so we enabled, one of the great things about rolling out, rolling out a global reservation tool was that when the pandemic hit, we were able to very quickly repurpose it as a solution to, to, to get people into the office safely and manage capacity rather than reserve spaces. Uh, but one of the things that we set up when we did that was just a little quick survey to find out why people were coming into the office. Uh, and uh, over three quarters of the people who made their way into the office in the height of a pandemic were saying that the primary reason was that they, were, that they needed to carry out an activity that they couldn't do at home. Um, so so that, 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 that's a great point because um, I want to I want to bring Sam into the conversation here too because I want to you know you're literally talking about you know what his question is that we're going to get to in a second which is how do we implement technology to improve the user experience with you know when we're dealing in a hybrid environment so you, know, you have a little bit here um, why don't you take a minute and wrap up real quick and then we're going to throw that question to Sam and bring him in here. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, basically, the, uh, I'll just really touch on the very last bit. Um, so th I think, uh, and hope this should lead into lead into the rest of what what, what the team will be talking about. Um, I, I think understanding our space is very important. So you know, the, the rise of IoT, more in-depth space analysis, not just looking at the occupancy of a building, but looking at how spaces are used. Uh, one of the big uh, undertakings that, that we're underway with is, is leveraging AI uh, to, to help predict behaviors and also to make recommendations to people on when it might be most beneficial for them to come into a space. Um, I, I think we're finally moving into, moving into the realms now where that is possible by combining all of these infrastructures. Um, so we're really excited. We're piloting. We're piloting the solution in our Bay Area offices and in the Nordics um, as a as a potential solution for the planning challenge. And then just to make sure that your tools are consistent uh, throughout your workspaces, both for home working and in office. So we're we're obviously we're pushing out Teams enabled meeting rooms just to replicate replicate the experience people are having from home. And with that, I will stop waffling and hand on over. Fabulous. So, Sam, my question to you is how do we implement technology? I mean, you know, there's so much. There just seems like this deluge of new technology. So as someone who is trying to help navigate all this, how, how do we know what's the right technology to implement to really improve the user experience given the hybrid environment? Sure. Thanks, Kate. And uh, great intro uh, at the beginning there. It's uh, it's great to, to to be on with uh, with you guys. So, I guess um, just before I sort of jump into the uh, uh, the question itself, um, and I guess to yeah, to, to further yeah, <laughs> to further elaborate on 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 Chuck's uh, wonderful uh, introduction earlier. Um, Contact.io is an industry leader in indoor location and occupancy services. Um, and we provide Bluetooth low energy solutions um, with a few with a focus on human centric digital enablement. So that's bridging the gap between the the, the, the buildings um, and the people. Um, the three areas that we serve um, or the three problem areas that we serve, I should say, is, is building safety and wellness, uh, workplace utilization 
um, and occupant experience, which is obviously the the, the, the topic of um, today, and and also a highly important topic when discussing and looking to implement um, a hybrid working environment. So, to, to, to we need to always ask the why. Um, so we're looking to see why are we implementing technology and how can it help occupant experience. So we need to understand what what actually influences the um, occupant experience. And what we know is this is made up of, of three main factors. So we have our social element or our social sphere, which is the interaction of employees have with their work setting. The, the work element, um, so the work sphere of interactions employees have with assigned tasks. And we have the physical element, which is interactions employees have with the tangible uh, environment around them. And these spheres, they, they, they overlap, creating a unique facets to the employee experience. So if we look at the physical and, and the work overlap, we have the tools and the technology, um, which really help um, enable a good occupant experience. We have the social and physical overlap um, with physical workspace in which employees can utilize to work collaboratively with their uh, with their with their peers so those those the design of those breakout areas those stand-up areas hot desking all those types of things and you have the social and work overlap the social platforms that enable and drive a motivated um, workforce so so if, if we know that these are sort of the key factors that are uh, influencing um, uh, the, the the occupant experience how can we leverage technology um, to improve this? And what real life use cases do we have where technology can support that transition to a hybrid uh, working environment? So the use cases that we look at at Contact.io um, and how we've been supporting that, um, and generally this is, this, is, this is what everybody should be considering, um, is environmental monitoring is a big one. Um, we've got to bear in mind that People have been working from home, as, as others have, have said, for the last two years. Um, and we need to encourage and remove that fear of returning to the office by providing and ensuring a safe and healthy environment. Um, we do that through multiple devices. We have, well, we have one particular device, Portal Beam, which is a nine-in-one cloud-enabled sensor platform. Um, but we also have to look at um, hot desking. We're moving to a hybrid environment. Um, so fixed desks don't work. We know that this is not this is nothing new to discuss. Um, but these 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 hot desking or, or hoteling, um, we need to be able to leverage the IoT technology to enable hot desking um, and indoor navigation. We're talking about people coming to an office um, where perhaps they've never even been in before. Huge corporate offices in some cases haven't been there. They've been hired into a business within the last two years. They've never met some of their colleagues face to face and they come into these spaces and they need to understand how to move around the building, where to find their rooms, the locational where services, uh, services um, and those types of things. So this is how this is how IoT technology can really sort of serve some of these use cases. But what are the real benefits and who do they serve? So if we're looking back to increased safety and comfort, um, essentially that, I mean, that, that, that is serving everybody within a building, every, any single person that's in the building. But it does also particularly serve the HR teams and the facilities teams because they almost, they almost track that as a metric on how they are looking after their buildings and how they are looking after their employees. So I see that as very important. 
Um, hey, Sam, I want, I want to just tag in here, you know, because sure, what you're talking about, I think, is that's the number one thing that everybody's worried about right now, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that people overlook is, you know, okay, well, great, how do we increase that safety and comfort? What most people really want is control. And so, in a sense, what a lot of you all are talking about is creating technology and giving them tools that enable the end user to have a little bit more control over what they might encounter and setting the expectation so that you're taking away some of the unknowns. And I think that's a exactly. really important point. Just that, yeah. one, that, that one simple thing is really critical. Absolutely. And I think, I think control and visibility, just being able to see uh, what 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 your what what to expect? It, it removes the fear, as you say, Kay, right. um, which is 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 super important when returning to the office. But I mean, look, the, the, there's there's multiple different types of, of of technology we can leverage. If we're if we're looking at IoT technology, um, this is going to also be. We've also got to consider the impacts to businesses. Businesses, um, a, a large majority of businesses still have the same uh, amount of real estate as they did pre-pandemic. And if they're looking to move into a, a new hybrid working environment, that's something that they should also consider because there's a, you know, there's benefits that can be served there um, from a, a reduction in real estate um, or for a redeployment of real estate, a redeployment of real estate to, to, to make better use of that space, which is in turn going to essentially reduce cost and, and, and ultimately reduce energy and carbon output as well. Um, so anyway, moving on from that, how, how can we do that? We, we're talking about how we can deliver that through, through the implementation of technology. I think what's going to be key moving forward is it's going to be, uh, we, we have to look at the technology that's as it's evolving. Um, and I think low cost scalable solutions is going to allow um, the, 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 the implementation of this to all different types of businesses, not just right. histor historically, we've been looking at large, big corporate businesses. They're the only ones that have been essentially been able to afford um, and, and been able to implement this technology. It's evolved um, and it's yeah. it, we can now serve small, medium enterprises. And it's just as important to do so because we're talking about making people feel comfortable returning to the office. So back to the, the the real nitty gritty now that we we're sort of i guess all aligned with five steps um, i love it all right give them to us Sam. what are the five let, steps let's talk about the five steps and let me take you take you through it so anybody listening that, that wants to become the io champion iot champion within their organization um you can follow these five steps so number one build a coalition and identify the need whenever taking on any big project it's always important to ask yourself the question why are you doing it um, you need to clearly identify uh, the need that is driving an inefficiency, whether it be cost, whether it be productivity within your business. And if so, um, IoT may be able to help with those inefficiencies. I think it's also important to understand who's going to be impacted at this point by this technology, because getting those stakeholders on board is going to be key, not only to actually implementing this technology, but adoption of it. Which is, which is hugely important or just important or arguably more important. Step two, the famous saying of, of measure twice and cut once. You need to develop a strategy that can scale and does not simply turn into a point solution that can't be expanded into the future. The saying that I really love that I keep hearing is, 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 is long life, loose fit. You need to define core technologies that become the backbone of the platform, such as Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, whatever you choose, 
but ensure they have the ability to scale and adapt for the future. Step three, um, avoid uh, monopolizing and selecting technologies that have a long and cumbersome deployment times. Avoid uh, proprietary technology. Um, you need to look at your, your, your total cost of ownership. Figure out uh, the ongoing maintenance needs and the costs and, and take them, that into consideration when selecting and choosing the right technology to help enable that um, hybrid working environment. Step four, We've, we've, we've talked about it many times. I've heard lots of people talk about pilots and proof of concepts. Perfect way to start, start small. But the one thing I would say is, is, is with, a, with, a, with a pilot is make sure that you are selecting um, or, or, or assessing an actual problem that exists within your organization so that you can measure that, you can see it, you can see how that's, uh, when it's in place and being utilized by your, 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 your team, your staff, um, and you can iron out the creases and make those tweaks before you roll that out into your sort of enterprise organization. And lastly, finally, measure and verify. Document all the benefits um, in, in, in hard dollars and cents, measure the performance and report and evangelize the success of uh, your, your, your deployment or your implementation of your technology to your organization. As I said earlier, the, the adoption of this technology is critical. It's no good if it's not adopted. So it's really, really important to, to, to really express that uh, to, into your business um, um, so it can be effectively deployed. Okay, so Sam, I love the five steps. I love practical things that we can tell people. Here are the five ways to do this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up on your fifth one because we're going to bring Bay into the conversation because, you know, you're ending with measure. Okay, well, I think a lot of people are asking right now, well, what do we measure? And so, Jay, my question to you really then is, what metric should we be collecting? And how do we leverage that data so that we make sure we're being meaningful? Sure, Kay. Thank you very much for the introduction. And I enjoy speaking with everyone today. Uh, happy to go into the topic, you know, around, you know, what metrics should we be collecting and how do we leverage that data? And it's been very interesting how the type of metrics that we start and need to collect have really changed, I would say, over the last, uh, you know, six months to what it was, you know, three to four years ago. So before we get into the topic, I just wanted to quickly, uh, excuse me a little fast there, just quickly introduce Avuity. So we were actually founded in 2012 within an architectural firm. At the time, the firm had some clients that were looking to transition to unassigned seating, and they wanted some data to facilitate that transition. So what we did is we went out and did some research and found some IR centers that could easily collect occupancy data. The data was provided to the architects, who then in turn provided a design that best fit the work habits. Kind of fast forward to today, and a lot has really changed. And what's really changed is the needs and how this data can be used. And it's gone from, hey, we have a specific need, we have a specific challenge, we want to deploy these for a short time period, collect the information, and then make a decision to move on, to how can we use this more from a permanent standpoint to make, you know, real estate-based decisions, integrate it with, you know, apps for increased, a better employee experience, and then lastly, you know, how can we have it, you know, part of our smart building strategy. And so as the needs have changed, so have is the technology that can kind of collect this data. Where we've gone from, you know, IR sensors that can manage motion or identify motion. 
to more advanced devices that use AI, machine learning, can not only detect people, objects, and can collect, you know, environmental metrics as well. So to lead in to, you know, what metrics should we be collecting? More and more organizations now are collecting data, and it's not necessarily to be big brother. They just wanted to help from a very high level, you know, what's going on in their space. So, you know, from that topic, you know, what spaces are people actually using? When are they using them and for how long? And that kind of ties into, you know, what types of spaces are used more than others? Are people coming in? Are they at workstations? Are they in collaboration space? Are they meeting with others? And that kind of ties into the next uh, couple points. You know, are people collaborating? Or are they working by themselves when they come in the office? You know, where do they collaborate? What are the size of the collaboration teams? You know, one of the large assumptions today is, is that people are coming into the office to collaborate with their peers and then work from home to do heads down work. But is that really happening? Are our assumptions correct? And in speaking with some of our clients, what they're finding out is those assumptions are actually not true where they're seeing upwards of over 80% of the time when they do see their employees in, they're actually in collaboration space, but they're there by themselves. Next topic is, is are people using the space they reserve? Are they just using that to you know, put their materials there and then go on to meetings? Where are vacant spaces, high traffic areas? What amenities are used more than others? And that's been a big kind of topic of conversation lately is around amenities because there is a big investment into it. And they want to make sure that are we, the, the funds that we're spending, are they going to amenities that are actually using? And then lastly, do certain environmental metrics affect work behaviors or usage? You know, does light level, noise level, uh, temperature in specific areas, is that really affecting, you know, how people are coming into the office, where are they congregating, where are they working? Jay, I gotta, I gotta put an exclamation point on what you're saying. So can you, you can go back one slide real quickly. You know, I, I think um, very, I think that a lot of people are asking bad questions. They're asking people what they want. And it's like asking somebody what their favorite dis, dish is at a restaurant that they've never eaten at before. They don't know. And so they're guessing and they're speculating. And I think what you're laying out here is a way that we can actually collect what are people actually doing. Let them let them vote with their feet, monitor what they're really doing, not what they think they're doing, what they're saying. Because what we find from surveys often is that people uh, don't really know, and so they're lying to you. They're not they're not lying to you because they're trying to lie to you is because they really don't understand that. And so if we can monitor and do the, the approach that you're taking, then the data that we're getting is much richer and stronger and far more accurate than asking people, you know, in advance what they will do in a situation they most of them have never been in before. So thank you for pointing that out. Sure, absolutely. And that's actually a good tie into a slide I'm going to talk about here in a minute where, you know, the question is, is when you go to collecting data, how accurate do you really want to be? And what's the dangers of making the wrong decision from losing talent to having space that no one really wants to use? And we're not able to entice individuals to come in. So how do we leverage that data? So first is just understanding space usage. You know, what are the work patterns? What are the space types that people are using? 
um, what are the, you know, what is drawing people into the space? And then, you know, if we want to eliminate space, you know, we want to get rid of a floor or two, or we want to sublease, you know, let's get rid of the actual space that, you know, we're not using. Second is, is informing space changes to make sure that our design, our layout actually fits the work habits of our team. The idea, again, is back to enticing individuals to come into the office, but we want to make sure that we have the space they're wanting to use. So instead of mandating, hey, we want you to come in three to four days a week, let's have the space that fits the habits of the majority of our employees so they're enticed to come in. Next is employee experience. Um, you know, employee experience is really recognized as a driver of business productivity. So how can we take this data, how can we put it in the hands of our employees to make them more productive when they're on site? So they can easily find workstations to sit at, they can easily find their counterparts, they can easily find you know, what areas might have less people congregating or more people congregating. Next is improved community. Again, goes to um, you know, the culture of collaboration and community. And I think, Larry, you talked a little bit about this earlier, is the idea is how do we increase the touches between and those collisions between employees? those off-the-cuff conversations that are happening, and how can we make sure that's still happening, and how can we make it easy through the use of data and taking data and connecting that with like a reservation system to make it easy to find each other. Next is, you know, focus communication to drive behavior. You know, there's gonna be unwanted behaviors when employees come back. How can we identify those unwanted behaviors, communicate that, um, you know, trying to stop those behaviors so it can ultimately save us from making a decision that's going to end of the day cost us money. And for example, hey, getting requests that we need more, um, you know, collaboration space. Do you really need more collaboration space or after looking at the information, we find that you know, you know, we're only seeing one individual in that space. Hey, there's people in there squatting. So through communication, can we change those habits to make sure that we have the necessarily necessary space and meeting rooms to fit the needs? Next is, you know, data to challenge, you know, we're out of space. Again, kind of ties into number five. Hey, two, when we do get requests, Let's make sure, let's validate them. You know, if it is something that we need a certain type of space, absolutely. Or if there's not, that we're able to push back. And then the last two is, you know, building services. The idea of, hey, there's gonna be pressure to reduce cost, but there's also gonna be pressure for the employees. There's an expectation there when they do come back that they want the same level of services that there was previous to the pandemic. So how can we do that and kind of transition from that model of, scheduled based services to more usage based. And then lastly is human resources. Um, human resources has been, you know, to, to, not necessarily to be big brother, but again, they're being tasked more and more with what does the future of work look like? So kind of Kate, to tie in a little bit to what you were talking about from a method of uh, collection, you know, there's multiple ways to collect data, you know, can do surveys, badge data, look at Wi-Fi access point data, reservations, to desk sensors, to LIDAR, to artificial intelligence. The biggest question to ask yourself is how accurate do you want to be? And you know, what danger do we have of 
if we make the wrong decision, you know, from, you know, we have the wrong type of space or, you know, we can't entice individuals to come in or, you know, you lose, you know, retention, you lose talent. So that's one avenue of when you're asking yourself, okay, what are the specific methods that I should look at? And then also is how flexible do you want to be for changing uh, needs in the future? Should we use a technology as, you know, things continually change and there's new types of need, use, use, uh, usage cases that come up in the future? How can we quickly and easily adjust to those? So with that, I will turn it over to, uh, I think, um, Sager, talk about the next uh, next question. Perfect, thank you. Okay, so Sager, the question that we have is, what are the challenges that we're really starting to see right now? So tell us a little bit about uh, ERD, and then uh, let's hear about some of the challenges. Sounds good. I believe uh, is a video, video queued up. Thanks, Kay. Um, so before we talk about the question on the challenges that we see, so we heard, you know, all my co-panelists talk about um, the the space usage and employee experience. Uh, I'd like to first define what employee experience means, right? And it can mean different things to different organizations, different individuals. In my opinion, it's enabling the employees to enjoy their workplace arrangements while enhancing the team productivity without compromising the company culture. Right? And it, it uh, focuses on all the key ingredients that creates that employee experience, which is you know, the workplace arrangements, productivity, and, and the culture. Um, this is not my quote, so I won't take uh, credit for it. I read it somewhere, but I really liked it, that on-site is the new off-site, right? if you think about it um, that way. Um, so the top challenges in my mind, uh, if I break it down into two buckets, is one is for the employer where they are looking to generate real actionable insights, and it's it's easier said than done, right? And you know, just a bunch of dashboards and reports are not actionable insights. And what does it mean, and how do they get to that point? And uh, because of various functions, there are various point solutions that um, you know they would implement in their in their uh, in their entire journey, and then management becomes really tough. Right. And then for employees, uh, it's the real flexibility. And I'll, I'll touch on what real flexibility um, you know, means and what we have been hearing from our clients, making connections and ease of communication. It's the theme that we have you know, heard uh, from my co-panelists uh, in, in their talking points as well. So uh, what are the solutions to these uh, challenges? Right. One, uh, absolutely processes are important those are going to be defined by various companies depending on you know what makes sense for them for their culture uh, but in addition to that a technology platform that can uh, aid in return to office 
um, measure the real ROI of uh, of their investments in in real estate and people, and that helps them enhance employee experience is going to be super important. Right. So um, so let's um, you know what I want to do here is talk about the scenarios for those two buckets that is employee and employer, and leave everyone with some thoughts with like what if scenario, right? What if you know a certain thing was possible um how would it make uh, their lives easier so for employer what you know with the evolving workplace settings uh, every employer has a need today to understand the real usage of space and we heard you know from uh, from my co-panelists how you know what are various ways that can be done get feedback from the employees provide tools to enhance their comfort and service needs and reduce the friction for the tech adoption that you know the the employers are uh, are, are implementing in the, in the uh, workplace. So, what if along with the processes, employers have uh, a single tech platform that predicts, let's say, how much space uh, they'll need in future? Uh, that helps them do the survey, gather the feedback, uh, gather the usage data, and ensure staff safety. Right. Uh, it enables them to converge all this data um, across various functions because it's not just the space usage, right? It's a it's a very key ingredient in making these uh, you know key real estate decisions. But um, there are various other stakeholders when you think about the lease admin and the transaction teams, or the accounting and the payment teams, uh, the facilities, the construction uh, team that is responsible for creating the spaces that are inviting for the employees. And how do you how do you gather uh, information across these functions and leverage it so that you can really generate actionable insights? Uh, what I want to do here is like, uh, you know, we have a very good example, which is, you know, what we did at Yardi um, uh, as an occupier and just run through that uh, in a minute just to draw a picture for everyone. So um, at Yardi, we, you know, this is pre-pandemic, we acquired a new company and uh, they had a location in Jacksonville, Florida, and their lease was coming up, right? So, um, so we, uh, we not only developed, but we implemented the solution for our own usage. And so our transaction management system uh, was tracking this renewal and uh, and uh, helped us, you know, collaborate with the with the brokers, uh, look at the options, and finalize the uh, finalize one of the options, right? And and we decided to just renew it uh, in that space. Uh, once that transaction. Uh, went through, uh, it got pushed into our lease management solution, which is where now it's housed. It has all the lease terms, the legal um, language, and then uh, it also generates notification on any upcoming critical dates, whether options are expiring or you know whatever. Um, it's also connected with our occupancy management solution, so we really know how the space is being used, how the meeting rooms are being used, um, you know, who's coming in, when, when are they coming in, and then all of that information feeds back to our transaction system, so we know that next time when the renewal comes up, like, is it really making sense to renew it, or, uh, you know, should we just terminate the lease and go to a co-working location, right? Um, but since we executed the transaction uh, you know that data flowed into our construction management system because we were trying to make that space our own with you know our colors and desks and all of that uh the amenities so um this is this is where we were able to keep track of all the ti dollars that were given to us and track the budget timeline and risk around it um uh, the 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 accounting team had access to all the lease data so that they can run the the 
the financial reports and be compliant with FASB ASC 842. Um, our, uh, our integrated payment system would you know, automate the uh, rent payments to the landlords and any payments to the vendors. And as our employees moved in, uh, you know, our management had uh, you know, a solution to, to keep track of all the activities that were happening um, uh, in, in a given facility and what issues our employees were facing. So really speaking, like this entire connected platform, this is all based on one single database. So there was no, um, you know, individuals or teams moving data from one uh, one solution to another. It helped us, you know, generate these insights. And now, now after pandemic, now we know through our occupancy management solution that our spaces are not being used uh, enough in that Jacksonville, Florida office, and all people are interested in, in meeting rooms, and we might, you know, just go with uh, with a WeWork location uh, in there. So, um, so I thought that was a good example of, you know, how we solve some of our uh, our issues as a as an occupier, as an employer. And now, if we talk about the second bucket, which is the employee and their challenges, um, you know, I, again, I want to leave everyone with this, you know, what if uh, kind of a scenario, but before we do that, like let's understand what employees are looking for, right? With uh, with hybrid work becoming a norm, uh, as an average employee, I'm looking for uh, flexibility to work from anywhere, right? And anywhere doesn't mean any of my company offices, but it could be any other location that I might have moved to, um, where you know my company do not, do not have an office, right? So can I go to a co-working location in that case uh, that my company might have subscribed to? Uh, efficiencies in connecting uh, with the team, right? And ease of communicating when in office. So, um, you know, what if, you know, all the employees had a single mobile app right, where they can, you know, reserve a desk closer to the team members for the preferred schedule, find meeting rooms at their office or a subscribed co-working location, right? Manage visitors and package deliveries from the, from the same same app. Uh, report workplace issues, uh, stay connected with the teams and use the same productivity apps like Teams and Outlook so that they don't have to, you know, worry about installing 15 apps on their phone to, you know, to make their uh, work situation work for them. So um, I just leave it at that um, and uh, just wanted to make sure that um, everyone had some uh, you know enough pointers to think about these scenarios and 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 how they can uh, implement it for their employees. Thank you very much. That was a that was a great way to wrap up some of our questions. So we have a few questions left that we want to get to. So Mike, I'm going to throw it over to you and ask the next question, which is, so in all of this, you know, we talk about hybrid. I mean, what we want to make sure is that hybrid isn't the worst of both. We want to make sure that hybrid is the best. So if we can advance the slide one, please. Thank you. So how do we provide equity to ensure that we're doing this uh, the best way? What, do you, what are your thoughts? The tough question is when I ask my guests on the podcast often, can we provide an equitable experience in a hybrid world? And I'll give you my quick one minute response. And it kind of sums up the challenges that Jay talked about and Cigar and, and when you've chimed in on, Kay, you've mentioned it a couple times, it's this human behavior wild card. We are strange creatures. I think the door said it best, people are strange. And we'll say one thing on a survey and we'll behave a totally different way when it comes to reality. Right. So what I would say in, in a quick summary of how to deliver equity 
in a hybrid world is be intentional. Understand your very first set of slides, the purpose of place, be purposeful and make sure we're checking our biases. We all have them. You know, we say we don't discriminate on the fact that someone's in the room with us and someone's on screen, but it's really hard not to do that. We have something called proximity bias. We know that people give more value to someone who's there in front of them. Presence equity is just a real thing. And we need to be rethinking and reimagining how we interact with each other as human beings. That would be my big takeaway is if you're thinking you can just, you know, look at all the measurements in a data-driven world. I, I'm all for it. We at iOffice and Space IQ are all about gathering metrics and data. But Kay, you taught me a long time ago, there's something called thin data, which is the on-off switch. Is that space being used? Are people doing this or that? Or the thick data, understanding the why, and we've addressed that already. So that would be my big um, takeaway here is be intentional, purposeful, and uh, check your bias at the door. So it's not gonna happen by mistake. You have to you have to actually put a plan in place to do it. Thank you, Mike. That's a great summary. So another thing uh, that we are hearing a lot about, Matt, I want to I want to throw this over to you. Is there's a lot of questions about security. You know, is it safe to have people working from home? Are the networks as safe? What about hacking? You know, all of those different things that we're hearing about today. So uh, should we be worried about security? Uh, to a certain extent, yes. Uh, I think the, the, the key takeaways from a security aspect are we've we've moved. The, the landscape's fundamentally changed. We're no longer able to just install some applications on our own servers. Everything's cloud now. So due diligence on all the providers who are going to form part of your ecosystem is crucial. And then the other side of it really is around the protection of personal information because although we have lots of separate providers, but we do, we are, we are getting to the point where we're blending all of that information, which is gonna reveal a lot of insights about individuals. Um, so we would need to be really careful about the strategy that we adopt to do that as we go forward. Identity protection is gonna be incredibly important and we, knew, we do need to be uh, intentionally thinking about that as we evolve our big data strategies around hybrid working. Perfect, thank you. All right, gentlemen, are you ready? We're gonna do a lightning round and I'm gonna ask two final questions for each one of you and you have one minute left to make that last powerful statement. Uh, and the two questions I'm gonna ask you to address in your one minute is, oops, sorry, what are we not thinking about and what lies ahead? So Larry, I'm gonna start with you. What's your answers? Well, I think one of the things that we that we need to think more about is really the effect on the younger workers, people who have not been in office. You know, there are people who have been come out, come out of school for the last two years who many of them have not physically been in an office yet. How is that going to affect their development? How is that going to affect, you know, their ability to interact with people in general? Uh, it's not easy to sit in front of a computer all day long when you've never really been in an office and gone out to lunch with your coworkers, sat in a meeting with your coworkers, and the five minutes before and after the meeting, you're talking about the movie that you saw or the ball game from the previous evening. You know, how we, it, it even goes further to how younger people establish relationships because they're so 
non-in-person uh, centric because of the use of their uh, mobile devices and things of that nature. I think, you know, when, when we look at look back at this historically, I think we're going to see that's one of the things that, you know, we really need to focus more on. Wonderful. Okay, Jay, what's your answer to those things? What are we not thinking about and what lies ahead? Sure. So that's actually, uh, Larry, that's a good point. And that's one of the, the topics that I was kind of thinking of is that loss of culture, uh, lack of collaboration, and how can we use kind of data to determine if we are losing our, our company culture? and you know, that loss of mentorship for the young employees. And is there a way we can look at, you know, collect data, look at patterns to try to determine if we are, you know, getting out of front, out in front of that. And then as far as, you know, kind of what lies ahead is there's, you know, we're, things are gonna continually evolve and there's gonna continually be new ways to use information. And a lot of times, you know, we might not know what that is currently today, but looking to have, you know, technologies that are flexible, that can easily adjust to, you know, what lies ahead that we might not know it's a challenge today, but it's going to come up in the future. And how can we currently use our challenge our uh, technologies yeah. to address those needs? Yes, yeah, stay nimble. Okay, Sam, I'm going to throw it over to you. What are your thoughts? I'm going to have to, Larry and, and, and Jay both nailed it on the head there. I think I think with the young generations coming into the work, uh, into the workspace, um, working from home can be, um, you know, I mean, it can almost kill the culture of a business that's spent years and years building. Um, so that, that, that's certainly a, a big focus. The, the other the other one um, I think uh, people need to uh, consider when we're talking about data, as, as Jay um, uh, greatly put, is that um, we need to look long term at data too. Um, working from home over the last two years, I think you may even see increased productivity. Um, but there is a there is a longer term risk of burnout, people taking less breaks. You know, I mean, this has been scientifically proven. I've seen some studies from Microsoft more recently on on the impacts that that has. So you need to start thinking long term. Um, as far as what lies ahead. Um, I think it will take time for organizations to adopt a hybrid working environment that suits them to uh, retain their culture. And as Matt articulated wonderfully, hybrid isn't new. However, there is a large number of organizations that will be going through this transition. And I see the only way that this will be successful will be uh, through leveraging scalable IoT technology. Wonderful. Thank you. All right, Matt, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. So Big data uh, is the huge one, and in particular, sentiment analysis. I, I think we we make uh, we make judgment calls based on surveys. I think those are those are going to be fading out. We'll we'll learn to identify sentiments about spaces, and then we better be ready to change them quickly if those sentiments are unfavorable. <laughs> Wonderful. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Segar. Yeah, thanks, Kay. Uh, I think my response are, uh, for both the questions are going to be connected. So what are we not thinking enough about? Uh, I don't want to say not thinking, but maybe we need to think more about is leveraging co-working uh, you know, spaces into our overall um, real estate strategy more, right? Because we talked about the, the younger generation and the need for uh, you know uh, maintaining the culture. Co-working locations come with prepackaged amenities, right? And it's easier for the employers to have the flexibility and provide the employees what they need. 
Uh, and then what lies ahead, I would say, as employees return to office and the workplace arrangements evolve, it has potential to bring a big shift in how occupiers lease traditional space versus how they leverage co-working space sub subscription for their you know, corporate needs. So in addition to processes, right tech platform that generates that actionable insight as we talked about earlier, uh, for them to make those smart decisions around increasing the ROI, enhancing employee experience while retaining the company culture is going to be super important. Wonderful. All right, Mike. I don't think we are thinking enough about what it's truly going to take to be a leader in this new frontier of the built environment. I talk to my friends all the time in the FM world, real estate world. They're technical people. They know how to operate. They know how to use technology. But I also talk on the Workplace Innovator podcast to anthropologists and sociologists and people who understand human beings. And I think we all need to upskill in that area if we're going to lead our teams properly and we have to understand that people need to be led in a way that is empathetic and understanding but they don't want to be left flailing on their own to make all the choices on their own as Kay alluded to the paradox of choices if given too much choice human beings tend to freeze up and don't take action at all so we need to get people variety yep Yep, we need to get them out of their hobbit hole. We've been habituated to remote work. I know our bias on this panel and on the audience, in the audience is about returning people to the commercial and corporate real estate world. Get rid of that, rethink, reimagine how you're gonna do it. And as far as um, what lies ahead, it's almost baseball season. So I'll use a Yogi Berra quote. He said, the future ain't what it used to be. And I'll modify it slightly and say, the future of work ain't what it used to be. So get ready. I love it. Okay, so before I turn it over to Chuck, I just want to thank all of you for joining on this conversation today. And my last thing to say is we need to buckle up. We need to go forward with courage. We need to lead with empathy. We need to leverage everything in our toolkit and our toolbox. But we need to evolve. And with that, Chuck, we're going to turn it back to you. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Kay. Thanks to all the panelists and the valuable contributions in today's session. You know what? I think as companies do develop their own return to work, uh, work from home or hybrid solutions, you've given them a lot of things to think about. So you guys did a fabulous job. Uh, for our live audience and those watching this recording, thank you for tuning in. And I'll just leave you with this. Be sure to go to realcom.com to register for the Realcom IBCon conference is in Orlando this year, June 15th and 16th with a golf outing and a pre-conference events earlier in the week. And we hope to see you there. These kind of discussions will be part of that. You'll be part of the live group and interact with the whole team. So uh, congratulations to the whole group. Great, uh, great session. And uh, this will be one I think will get re reviewed quite a bit. So uh, everyone have a great day. Be safe, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you. Peace out, everybody. Thanks.